We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. After our extended hiatus, this is of course Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. We're back after, you know, enjoying our summers. I think uh, Kyle in particular was so um, just gobsmacked by the Luke May performance in Summer League and then the subsequent signing and his performance so far in preseason that um, we all really needed that that time off to regroup and and understand um, what was going to be in store for us this buck season. So um, I'll kick it over to you guys, uh, Kyle. How are you doing after our uh, our long break off? It's been it's been nice. I if anyone's followed me on Twitter, I have pretty much been one hundred percent all in on Ford Madison season. So that's what I've spent my summer on. It's been it's been fun. Uh, they have a playoff game tonight against uh, North Texas, which are located in Dallas. But yeah, a lot of crazy stuff has happened in life since the summer. So I'm, it's going to be back. Talk about the bucks. I kind of needed a break from all things walking basketball after hearing about Luke May. So I needed like a week and a half just to like sit in my room in anger and wondering what, what is coming to the world. (laughs) How about you, Riley? (laughs) Uh, I've, I have to say, I feel quite similarly to Kyle and this is a little, uh, inside baseball. I, I think I use that every time I talk about like the actual, uh, logistics of doing the podcast, but it is 8am central, uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, we all have our coffee. We're ready to go. And, uh, my summer was good as well. I got engaged, which is super duper cool, obviously. Um, and unfortunately, it's not engaged to Luke May, but we'll kind of break that down as we go ahead with the podcast. But excited to have the team back. They look really good so far through preseason, and we'll uh, we'll break it all down for you guys. Yeah, congrats, obviously, on the uh, belated congrats publicly, I guess, on the engagement. And Kyle, um, belated congrats on getting out of that uh, Luke May spell that he put you in. Um, <laughs> in surviving all the Hennessy you were consuming for Yeah, I was going to say that, that, that trip seemed insane, but this that's the type of like soccer conversation I could get behind is like a tour across the country drinking and going to soccer stadiums. Oh yeah, anytime there's a road trip, we just end up drinking way too much alcohol. Last week we went to Lansing <laughs> and I think we left at 5 a.m. and by 7 a.m. we had finished a bottle of Jameson, a oh. bottle of md 2020 and if anyone knows what that is that is very terrible and a couple like bottles of wine it was wild what's md 2020 think of like think of uv blue but much 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 worse oh god that's tough that's really hard to imagine like exceptionally speaking oh wow well Doctor, this podcast, yeah this uh, this podcast brought to you by MD twenty twenty. Yeah, I feel like we could probably get them as a sponsor. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, a guy who probably won't be drinking MD twenty twenty uh, for a while while he's rehabbing is Eric Bledsoe, and he's probably the biggest takeaway so far from the Bucks preseason. Uh, injured, of course, in the Utah Jazz game, we saw him leaving. Seemed to be holding his his ribs. Um, initially Sham Sharania reported that he was going to be out two to three weeks with a small rib fracture. Uh, Matt Velasquez MD came back, um, with, uh, 
a little clarification from John Horst um, talking about it was more uh, wasn't necessarily a fracture. It's all kind of based on pain. Doesn't mean that Bledsoe is necessarily going to be out two to three weeks. I think the main takeaway is that it's not a long-term injury, but of course, in the immediate future, the Bucks will have to deal with what they're going to be doing without Bledsoe. I saw Eric name make the adroit point that uh, we this will probably cost potentially cost us one of our defensive matchups between Eric Bledsoe and James Harden, also potentially Eric Bledsoe and Russell Westbrook, which was probably one of the defensive highlights and highlights overall of last season. But uh, in the immediate future, Riley, it seems like the Bucks are going to probably have to be relying on um, maybe, of course, George Hill, uh, probably Frank Mason burned some of his uh, two-way contract days when the regular season starts. You don't burn those days during the preseason. And then uh, potentially Dante DiVincenzo. I know they've worked out a couple other ball handlers in the preseason at point guard, but um, what's was sort of your immediate takeaway and and thoughts on who's going to be filling in for that Bledsoe role? Well, the first thing is it's a real shame that Eric went down the way he did because I, I didn't even see what the play was that he got injured on, but um, at least through the Jazz game, because I, I should admit I did not get to catch a lot of the Bulls game, but at least through the Jazz game until he went out injured, he looked really good. Like he was, you know, doing pull-up threes. He was bearing, barreling towards the basket. He was finding passing lanes, et cetera, et cetera. So he looked like vintage Eric Bledsoe, which was a really good sign for the year that he was going to have and probably will be heading forward. But speaking of the guys that are going to get filled in, it's going to be interesting because we have a system offensively and with Giannis coming in with a quote-unquote guard mentality, and you can kind of see that a little bit more with him trying to set up teammates uh, more often. I'm not sure how radically Eric Bledsoe's departure is going to uh, affect the Bucks for at least the first you know couple of weeks of the regular season. Obviously, it's a pain because you lose one of your premier interior creators, and it's a skill that, you know, George Hill is okay at, Dante is okay at. I'm not sure if we can really say that Frank Mason is okay at, but they're all somewhat passable as just like initiating offenses. And it, what I'm really worried about is not so much those three guys filling in for the starters, but which one of those three guys or <clears throat> what combination of them are going to get thrown out there with the substitutes because I think the ideal plan was that George Hill was going to come off the bench and be like the lead guard with the subs and kind of work in the rotation, maybe close games potentially just to kind of give the Bucks a different ball handler or a different look. But now with Eric out, if you put George Hill out there, you put Dante out there, does that necessarily harm the substitute lineups in a way that it puts the load unnecessarily high on the starters this early in the season that they have to kind of build up enough of a lead that, they can survive sub minutes that aren't nearly as strong because the talent is as strong. So I think all three will be okay. I don't expect it to be some sort of like, you know, catastrophic going off the cliff edge kind of change, but um, it's definitely going to change a little bit the roles and the uh, burden that guys like Chris and Giannis have to shoulder, at least to start the game. Um, and uh, the one other positive, I guess you could say is it forces Budenholzer to kind of try to do a different look and see, okay, do we feel comfortable with Dante as a primary ball handler? Is that something we could go to if, you know, God forbid, Eric Bledsoe has another, you know, absolute conniption in the playoffs? So I think there's a lot of different things. I, I don't see it as a huge negative, um, and especially since it's a relatively minor injury, but uh, it, it definitely has a little bit of a fold for things that Bud has to handle. Yeah, and I think you make a smart point with the with the substitutes. I mean, the whisper in the wind all season is going to be Malcolm Brogdon, of course, in his absence. 
uh, looming and trying to find potentially a substitute replacement who can maybe do a little bit of his playmaking, and especially on those backup units that he was usually included with the Brogdon plus bench lineups. And uh, Kyle, could this potentially mean, I, I know Chris Middleton isn't nearly the driver that Eric Bledsoe is, but, and obviously Bud was probably going to stagger Giannis and, and Middleton regardless, but do you think that means that Middleton will just have to do uh, maybe you'll moonlight as the, the point Middleton, like he did a couple years ago and try and take more playmaking opportunities with the bench lineups? Yeah, I think he's going to do a little bit of that. Plus I wouldn't be surprised if Bud does try and have Dante do more of that um, point Dante stuff that a lot of people were hoping that he'd be able to do last year going into the season. Um, I don't know in terms of Middleton, because I feel like offensively, Eric Bledsoe being missing isn't going to be too bad just because with how their offense is set up, it's pretty much just getting four guys around the perimeter, getting ready to shoot, and then letting you know Giannis or you know whoever is playing that point guard role kind of distribute the ball to them. But I think it's going to be – I don't think Middleton's going to do it necessarily. He might – just force it himself just because I think Middleton likes that aspect of his game. But I think uh, Boone is probably going to look at Dante and maybe um, Sterling Brown to see if they can be those two guys that can possibly facilitate the offense. I don't think that's a great idea, but I just think that's what my gut is telling me. But in terms defensively, that's going to be the bigger concern, as it was mentioned, you know, trying to guard James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and then, you know, they got Gore Dragic and Tyler Harrow and Miami right after that. But I think defensively is where the Bucks are going to, you know, miss Eric Bledsoe more than on the offensive side. But I know um, with Frank Mason, I think Dakota tweeted it yesterday that the days don't start until the G League training camp, which is on the 28th. So his 45 days wouldn't be affected for the Rockets game or the Heat game, which would be pretty nice backup to have. Yeah, great point from uh, D- Dakota Schmidt, obviously, um, leader of Ridiculous Upside and, and you know, spotlights at brew hoop as well uh, i think the de- the defensive point is is a smart one uh and, and riley i actually think that'll be i think that's probably it. it's so much harder for i would say definitely us as, as layman fans to always understand and quantify how these guys are doing defensively but we know last year consistently in his press conferences mike budenholzer was always talking about how the defense it was a huge point of emphasis for him or if it wasn't up to snuff he was you know, irate in his reserved way. Uh, I think that probably could be one of the bigger determining factors for who's going to win out at this this two spot. And now it sort of seems to open up the the one spot as well. Some of those guys who are in the, the two spot competition might move over to the one. The Bucks have uh, experienced just kind of putting a nominal guy at, at point guard, um, especially with Giannis uh, being able to handle most of the playmaking duties. But I think defensively, uh, this will be a really good opportunity for some of those guys to try and differentiate themselves, whether it's a Dante DiVincenzo, whether it's a Sterling Brown. Um, do you think that Bud will uh, try and think of of the defensive abilities of these guys as, as a huge, meaningful role in who gets minutes? Or is there a possibility that he's still just going to lean on the veterans like Wesley Matthews and Kyle Korver, knowing that they're more just serviceable defensively? Oh, I think he's definitely going to lean on the veterans. But for me, in my opinion, it's, What's interesting thinking about Eric in terms of defenses is like it's him and Giannis are the standout defenders on the roster because they're such frenetic individual like on ball defenders and Giannis a little bit more off ball as well, just kind of reaping around waiting for guys to try the rim and get past Brooke Lopez just for him to deny him. But I think it would be difficult and probably not the best idea to simply say, okay, 
is Dante the guy that can physically like best replicate what Eric is able to do? Because I'm not sure there's a single guy on the roster. And all of last season we saw that regardless of really who was out there, the defense never really collapsed because we had a quote-unquote like awful defender. All the guys are pretty much okay system defenders. So I really don't see it as we're looking specifically over this, you know, four or five, however many game stretch for like, who is the guy who can best replace Eric individually and what he does, because I think that would be impossible. And if that's going to be the case, I I think going back to your point to say, he'll probably end up relying on the veterans just as guys who he would trust to pick up his scheme, pick up the system, because if you're not going to have Eric out there, then you have to fall on the system even more. And we saw that it worked last year. So I'm not too worried about that, but I I doubt it's going to be like, well, you know, Dante's really athletic and maybe he doesn't body up defenders nearly as much, or maybe Sterling, he can body up defenders pretty well, but it, it, maybe he gets lost a little bit more once the ball cut starts moving left to right, for example. So I, I think he'll kind of be weighing that, but I doubt when he's figuring out this is who I'm going with, it's necessarily going to be the defense. I think he's probably looking at, yes, Chris is an okay playmaker, but he's not exactly like a system running uh, facilitator. He's kind of like in motion. If it's like the defense is kind of collapsing or scrambling a little bit, he can find the tight pass. And we saw last night against uh, the Mavs that he had five turnovers. And a lot of them were like him trying to force passes or his handle isn't super duper great. So he just kind of dribble around and get trapped by defenses on the baseline, for example. So I think with that in mind, and Giannis probably not just yet ready to go back to point Giannis. I think it's going to be more so, what can you do for me offensively? We'll figure it out on defense as we go along. Fair enough. Kyle, anything else about the Eric Bledsoe injury before we uh, move on? Um, I don't think there's really much more. I think, thankfully, it's not as bad as what it could have been because it's not like if it was an oblique, it could have been over a month. Um, so a couple of weeks and it sounds like it's more of a pain tolerance thing. I wouldn't be surprised if Bledsoe was even ready to play for the first game of the season, to be honest. So I think thankfully it's early enough and it's a minor enough injury that it's not going to hurt the Bucks long-term, but definitely with their beginning of the season schedule being a little bit tougher, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I, I agree completely. This is like the ultimate uh, preseason Something kind of small happens, but it's time to make a mo- like a mountain out of this molehill so we can have something to talk about on the podcast. Um, because, you know, these games have been interesting, um, but I don't know how much we're really learning about this team, especially because there's just so many known known commodities, um, known quantities, and we, we've kind of seen what they did last year. Really, the preseason was just, uh, for me, I'm just kind of looking and seeing how um, some players who might not usually get a chance if they pop in a role, you know, for any reason specifically, I'm kind of looking to see how the, the new people are fitting in. Of course, uh, to this point, um, the Bucks were were three and zero at the time of this recording. Um, beat the Mavs one eighteen one eleven. The Jazz just absolutely destroyed them one thirty three to ninety nine. Um, beat Chicago as well one twenty two to one twelve. Um, and I, I think there were there's been a couple interesting things in each game. Uh, the really interesting thing for me in that, in that Chicago Bulls game, and we'll do this a little, we'll talk about this a little later in our, our over-unders, um, that's a bit of a tease for you, uh, is the Lopez twins were doing some crazy in-sync stuff on the pick and roll against the Bulls. And I don't know how much that's just the Bulls being the Bulls and um, versus the Lopez twins just understanding how to work together and understanding the geometry of the court. But uh, for me, Kyle, the definitely the most engaging and exciting part of that Bulls game was um, Robin and Brooke Lopez just decimating the Bulls front line. 
yeah, it was it was a spectacle. And yes, part of it is that it's the Chicago Bulls who are just inept in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it's pretty exciting to see, you know, I was hesitant on the Robin Lopez signing when it first happened. I thought, you know, could he have gotten him on a vet minimum deal? Yes, that would have been great. You know, the salary, it's not as bad as initially as I thought. But this is why having someone like Robin Lopez is going to be so huge for the Bucks coming down at the end of the season when you're playing against a team like Philadelphia where they could just throw both Horford and Embiid. And having two of those big bodies is going to be huge for the playoffs. But offensively, it was kind of interesting to see that pick and roll. I don't know how much of it is it's preseason, so let's just get it out of the way early, or how much of that is going to be factored into the regular season in the playoffs. But it's if Robin Lopez is going to shoot threes, this is a very fun idea to have because you could have Brooke just pop out even further out, you know, 30 feet. Then you kind of have to decide Robin Lopez is going to shoot a three. Possibly he might, or you can have Brooke go all the way out 30 feet, draws a defender away, and then it opens up a lane from someone else like Giannis or Bledsoe when he's healthy or, you know, Sterling Brown or Pat Connaughton. So I think that was it was definitely something I didn't expect to see going into the season, but I think it's going to be pretty awesome later on. And, you know, maybe, maybe this whole playing the Lopez twins together is going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you, you de- Twitter was definitely going crazy after that one. And I was, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's always fascinating to see basically two big lineups like that. They seem pretty outdated at this point with two guys who aren't, I would say hyper athletic, but it was really interesting to see them play off each other and see them work the pick and roll and, and, and pass and see Robin like rolling to the rim and doing all of his crazy stuff. Beyond that, it wasn't a whole lot to take away from that Bulls game. Bud basically rested just about all his starters um, because they had played in the scrimmage that day before. But then, you know, they go out against the Utah Jazz and Giannis makes his first appearance, 22 points, 11 rebounds, four assists in, in just 20 minutes of play, finishes an insane plus 37 in his plus minus facing a jazz team without Rudy Gobert, of course, but, you know, for the most part, and, and Joe Inglis, but they were still playing Mike Conley and uh, Donovan Mitchell and, and a good number of their other players that, you know, they're supposed to be a deep team, a contender this year. I mean, Ed Davis is a quality player. They've got a couple other good guys, uh, but Riley, there was just nothing that they could do against this Bucks offense. They were having their way the entire evening. Yeah, I was thinking the entire time, I was like, wow, the Jazz have to be praying that if if somehow they make it to the finals, the Bucks are not the team that is waiting on the other end because I don't know what it, what it is with Giannis and Salt Lake City. Maybe he just doesn't like mountains or something. It, that doesn't make sense to see from Greece, but, you know, uh, he, he just he loves punishing them. And it, I'm sure he was really upset that his, his man's Rudy Gobert was not out there for him to, uh, you know, share a couple of possessions with but it, it didn't matter who they threw out there they, they like started with just trying to put ed davis on Giannis, and you know ed davis is a little lanky he's not really like all that hefty in the pants and so it was just like easy boom 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 Giannis like almost fouled ed davis out in whatever is like 10 minutes of play in the first half alone and like i think what i came away with from the jazz game and and also the mavs game to a you know different extent is that we're not going to have any sort of MVP or post MVP slump for Giannis. It's going to be just dominant right out the gates. And, and yes, part of that is the fact that he's still so, so good going to the basket. We all know that none of that has changed, but even beyond just attacking inside what I noticed between the jazz game and the Mavs game, and I'm not the first one. A lot of the people have as well as how fluid and comfortable he looks taking the threes. And this feels like the first time, 
in a long time. And, and there were times last season that I kind of did, but for the most part, this feels like the first time where he he looks very comfortable in the flow of offense. It's not so much I'm going to take a shot after lining it up for five seconds because my defender is like six feet away and just you know meandering over to me because they don't want you know they don't care if I take this shot. It's in the flow of the offense. It, he doesn't stop the offense completely. It, you know, ball get kicked out. A second pass over to Giannis, who's sitting above the break uh, outside three and take it. And even though he didn't make any in the Jazz game, he did end up going, I want to say it was three for four against the Mavs. And so if he's able to do that consistently, and it looked like, at least in the second half of last season, that he was able to, um, and if that's something he can continue to cement in this game, I th- think that's a really good sign and, and exactly what we should be looking for this preseason. And you know, like you said, it, it's tough to tell with the Jazz because they were missing Gobert and you know they did run out a lot of their starters. But th- I mean, if you look at the box score, they ran out a lot of other dudes off their bench as well. So it, it's kind of difficult to say, you know, this is one of the best teams in the West. What does that mean for the Bucks heading forward? But the dominating fashion. Giannis played in and everybody else up until when Eric Bledsoe left. Uh, I think it's it, it's a good sign that a team that is as good defensively as the Jazz are supposed to be, um, and they just had no answers. I yeah, I think the rest of the league should probably be scared. Yeah, the thing that struck me is, of course, I won't call Giannis the MVP per his request. Um, we would have to abstain from doing that until next year when he this year when he wins it or whatever. Um, Unless you're a Houston Rockets fan, they go right ahead and continue crying about not getting the MVP. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> all, all three of our, all, all three point five of the Rockets fans somehow listening to this podcast just log. They just deleted it. That's it. Uh, there, there goes our views. Yeah, destroying an entire segment of our listenership. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the thing obviously coming out of the Bucks failings in the postseason last year, there was that article that that uh, Eric Name ran in, in the Athletic talking with Giannis. He was talking about how he needs to get these new moves to attack the the double teams. You know, he needs to be able to find the passes, but he also talked about potentially making and finding this, this mid range game, obviously him pulling up uh, in rhythm three pointers is, you know, a visual feast for the eyes. Uh, maybe he's finally gotten the uh, whatever lingering poltergeist is in his limbs from Jason Kidd telling him not to shoot threes has hopefully um, been exercised from his body. But uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of the mid-range pull-up game, maybe a little bit of it, but uh, I mean, the thing that just stood out to me, Kyle, was just, it's still Giannis being Giannis. Like he's still going to decimate people inside. Uh, and I think throughout this regular season, like the walls that we were seeing in the postseason, I just don't think that that type of defense is really going to be present throughout the regular season. I think he's just going to wreck people inside. Oh yeah. It's going to be a repeat of last year. I don't think he's going to get as many dunks, but his ability to just get to the rim with ease and it feels like there's no one that's capable of stopping him and even if you do put a wall he's still able to get through it unless you're the toronto raptors and had Kawhi leonard who's one of the best defenders ever then yeah you could possibly stop him but i don't think for the regular season that's going to happen it's it's just staggering how easy it looked with Giannis against the utah jazz in particular just how he was able to just it just seemed like he was able to take two steps and just get a dunk or was able to draw in two or three defenders and kick it out to Kyle Korver. And I think that's going to be the big thing is Kyle Korver looking really, really good against Utah. It's, it's like he just walked into the system. It helps that he had Budenholzer as a coach for so long, but he just walks in, starts shooting threes, and it's kind of nice seeing it when he's in a Milwaukee uniform instead of the other teams and killing the Bucks. So that is a nice, refreshing thing to see. But – no, in regards to Giannis, I think for the regular season, he's going to 
nearly replicate what he did last year and possibly be even better, which for the rest of the league, that's a scary thought. Absolutely terrifying. The Kyle Korver uh, observation is a good one as well. Because then it's the Jazz. There's it was just insane to see their, their their chemistry happen so quickly. It was Giannis basically dribbling the ball up in transition, and you know usually you might see him start to penetrate, go to the the top of the key there, and he might like kick it back to a trailing Brook Lopez or something who has some space because the the big is sagging off of him. Uh, but in this instance, he like kind of tossed it a flip shot or a flip pass over his head or something to Kyle Korver, who was really closely guarded by his defender because he's Kyle Korver. And it didn't matter. Kyle Korver still got the shot off. It wasn't the best pass and it just went in. And and that's the kind of stuff that you're absolutely going to see from Kyle Korver. We are talking about it all off season, as opposed to Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, he has no sort of choice paralysis when it comes to threes. He's just going to let it loose immediately. Uh, right upon contact and you can see the benefits from it. He goes three for three in that game. You know, we'll see if he ever has a, a cold spell or whatever. Um, that's precisely why they got him though, is they believe that he'll be able to hit the threes all the way down to the end uh, of the season, hopefully in the postseason too. Um, Riley, you, you obviously wrote the extended recap for brew hoop for the Mavericks game. So anything to touch on um, or big takeaways from the Mavericks game before we just kind of each do uh go around and, and talk about one or two players that maybe have intrigued us that aren't Giannis or any of the main players. Yeah, I think uh, just one final thing on the Jazz game. I, I think we should note that um, of the three games, that's the one that trotted out the starting lineup that I think most people expect them to run, which would be Eric, West Matthews, Chris, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. Um, and that unit did you know really well in the minutes that they had together before, again, Eric left. Um, and I think with the Mavs game, again, it, it was – offensive dominance from Giannis. I mean, obviously 34 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. The one thing that I wanted to kind of keep an eye on um, as we continue to think of Giannis as a quote-unquote guard is just how he's setting up his teammates and how effective he's looking because we've seen him for a number of years now. He's very good at, you know, making kind of drawing defenders and kicking it out. Like it's not so much that he's always reticent to pass it. It's more so how accurate is the pass? Does it hit his teammate in the hands where they like it to be able to get the shot up quickly? And and for a, a couple of possessions, like, for example, there was the Kyle Korver at the at top of the arc where Giannis kind of goes into the paint, turns around and kind of does a wraparound pass out to Kyle Korver who hits the three, no problem. But there were also times where Giannis gets into the defense, either the defense throws a wall at him or, you know, this a little bit of contest at the rim. And when he kicks it out, it's still not 100% smooth. It's not like a LeBron James pass where he'll go cross-court and hit a guy right in the hands, you know, right in the shooting position. There were a couple of times where a Giannis pass would be a little errant and would either, like, go low. The guy would have to just, like, you know, try to pick up the dribble, essentially, to hold onto the ball instead of turning it over. And so I'm curious to see as we go forward, both between the Mavs and the Jazz, how... Giannis continues to incorporate that because I'm not sure if you're able to really develop a preternatural passing ability, especially with the off season that he had where he just didn't have, at least from the outside, given like his Nike event and the world cup and et cetera, to really work on his game all that much. So how much of, is it going to be just a change in mentality where it's like, okay, now I'm going to be looking for the pass a lot more versus how accurate am I with my passes. So I think that was be the one thing that I kind of took away. And in the four turnovers against the Mavs, whether those be like, you know, charges or some travels or whatever, not the end of the world, but that was something where 
if you came into this preseason expecting Giannis to be like point god Giannis, I, I think you can be dissuaded of those uh, dreams and we'll see how it heads forward. But that was the one thing I kind of took away between those final two games that I was able to watch a lot of. Yeah, that, he can he can read the floor really well. He has like such good basketball instincts. He's had that from his first rookie season, but he never really has, you're totally right, reached that LeBron James, I would say James Harden, maybe even Russell Westbrook level of delivering the ball directly into players' pockets where they want it. Uh, I'm curious if that will ever come. Uh, I don't know if, I mean, I wonder if, I mean, part of it is, it feels like he's always when he's making these passes, he's like on like one foot or like falling into people or yeah, like waiting yeah. to the last possible second to pass it. Um, you know, the times that he does make the really good LeBron James style passes are when he's kind of has a little bit of space and he's like at the top of the key and he makes that that sweet pass to someone in the corner. Um, so I, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. And and you're right, especially this season with uh, the Bucks sort of focusing even more on the fact that, Hey, we're just going to surround you with shooters. You got to find these guys and make them make the perfect passes. And when those pockets are even smaller, uh, hopefully he'll be able to improve on that. But let's do sort of a, a round Robin here and go around and talk about some of the other players who have gotten a few more minutes in the preseason and stood out. So Kyle, we'll start with you. Anyone who aren't sort of from the main flock of Bucks players you would think of that have stood out to you in this preseason. I would say, and both in good and bad terms, I would say Dante DiVincenzo obviously is one of them because you know, wait, again, wait, 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 Kyle, are you saying, <laughs> are you saying it's time for Dante's Inferno? Absolutely. This power, Dante, we can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say for the um for Zante, I think like against Chicago he kind of struggled, you know, going one to seven, but against Utah and Dallas, he seemed to do a little bit better shooting wise. Um, I think that's going to be important, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, trying to have um be more of a playmaker style of guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he is the starting two guard. I know it's most likely between him, Wes Matthews, and Kyle Corver, but he's just been able to it seems like he's more comfortable. It's he's starting to come up to speed. You know, obviously being a rookie, it's, everything's a little bit faster, and you're not really able to catch up to it. But now it seems like he's starting to get his feet kind of settled in. Um, also with Sterling Brown, I think he's going to be someone that I think he's if he if someone's going to replace Tony Snell in terms of what his role is going to be, I think Sterling's going to be that, that guy. Maybe a little bit better defensively, not as well shooting wise, but. Those are the two players that I think are going to stand out. I know Sterling didn't play against Utah, but I, I think those are the two guys for me that if they can show their you know bench level, if they can provide bench level production, that's going to be huge for the Bucks, both in terms of assets and depth. Yeah, I totally agree on Dante. He's You can definitely see him kind of trying to feel his way out there, working with the ball a lot more. The thing that's always interesting to me about him is he seems to play at like his own speed all the time yeah i was gonna say exactly that it looks like he's moving at a different motion like not so much like wow he's really blowing dudes away with how quick he is it it does seem like i don't know if he's going slow or what the deal is but he does seem to move at a different speed from everybody else on the floor it it, it's almost it's weird and uh now i'm gonna sound like i've clearly gone 
so far from my days of not liking the Dante pick, but he he has like a, a it's almost like he a more dance like quality to his his way of approaching basketball. Like he's he's smoothly bringing it up in transition. He's like calmly waiting for Giannis to get to right, to the right spot and then makes the scoop pass. Uh, like other whereas other people I don't know might be trying to rush to the basket or something. When he gets the ball, he's like casually turning and then getting up and then all of a sudden when he's ready to make his pass, he'll just flip it to someone really quickly. It's like he can, it seems like he can go from slow to fast in his decisions um, in a really interesting way that makes it me feel like maybe he can keep guys off kilter or catch them by surprise. He's obviously done a decent job finishing at the rim actually in the preseason, which is promising if only his jump shot would fall. But uh, I've been pretty impressed. He, he had a really good pass in the jazz game where he was on the top right of the arc and just was able to make a really good pass to a shooter in the corner uh, who promptly missed it. I forget who it was, but um, some of that vision stuff has always kind of been there with Dante. So um, it's pretty cool to see it come a little bit to fruition, uh, even if his goatee is grotesque. That's wow. That was a good. Oof, note to wow. end on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say for Dante, um, he has impressed insofar as it looks like contrary to all evidence that we thought we saw, he does look healthy, which thank goodness for that. Apparently John horse was not lying about that. So shout out John horse, but um, I think my my only concern with Dante, and it's not even all that much of a concern, like it's a silly one to have, but because he is the quote unquote do stuff guy on a roster like this where the top line five starters are as strong as they are, are we in this season specifically is a kind of like utility. I can do everything. Maybe I'm not super dominant at one thing, but I can kind of do everything pretty competently or above average. Like those guys have value on a lot of rosters, but is it going to make it more difficult to find him like a specific role to carve out throughout the season? So that would be the only thing. And again, that's not even really that much of a concern. It's more so of a fit question. And then to guys that um, have impressed or kind of caught the eye, I think uh, I'm not going to totally back down and be like, well, these were stupid signings from the get-go because I don't think the Dragon Bender signing was dumb. I'm just not really that much of a believer. And Thanasis, still, again, the process was really dumb, really not sure about the uh, ethics behind it. But um, I should give credit to the guy where he, he play, he's played quite a number of minutes through the preseason and even in the scrimmage, uh, whatever, like a week and a half ago. He looks like he belongs out there. Um, and I mean that insofar as he has all the physical tools, which I don't think there was too much of a doubt of. But, you know, I've been impressed with offensively, while he's not like a dominant force per se, um, he does seem to have a pretty good feel for when the offense needs him to kind of cut towards the basket or he appears a lot more willing and ready than Giannis, for example, to shoot a three if it gets out to him when he's unguarded on the perimeter. And then on defense, curious to see how it goes forward, but he's been like the definition of a frenetic defender, which looks really, really nice when you're watching it in like, you know, chunks and bits. But I'm curious because the last like really, wow, that guy's a frenetic defender was like Thon, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Thon had his moments where he was a really good defender, but it wasn't enough to really be like this really big added plus to his game. And so I'm, I'm curious to see is the NASA's going to be able to turn the fact that he's has so much energy and he's so willing to like body guys up. And he's the guy that's going to get in like six fish fights this year because it's just the way he plays or, you know, it's just, you know, how annoying he is to other guys. How does he turn 
those raw skills into something more helpful in a systematic way because I, I'm not sure if he's really there to be like, well, he's going to be the guy that guards Paul George. Like, I don't, I don't know about that so much. So, I, but I do want to give a, a shout out to him just because he, he looks like a, a fringe NBA player, but somebody who it, it wasn't a total incomplete, like, wow, why did we give this guy a roster spot? So, so I think I should acknowledge that. I'm just picturing him and Sterling Brown on the court at the same time. And there's going to be a fight that's going to happen. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, Thanasis is going to be like, I don't even care about getting suspended. I'm coming off the bench. Like, he's just (laughs) those five games. Giannis got me. No problem. I don't care about losing the game checks. I'm good to go. Yeah, I mean, all all credit to Thanasis. I I was as much of a doubter as anyone. Uh, I mean, I think preseason basketball is about as ideal a playground for a player like him as possible. Um, Even he can kind of just move around and find some spots backdoor cut or whatever for players who clearly aren't going to all work in tandem defensively, but you know, good on him for looking like a decent player out there. His defensively, he, he's like the epitome of like what your dad, your dad would be like, wow, look how hard he hustles out there. I mean, <laughs> he got that block, uh, but five for the five other plays where he's hustling around, he's really just out of position and screwing up the whole system and he makes too many gambles. Um, but regardless, you know, all good on him. For Dragon Bender, he's really the only other play that's interesting to me from this preseason. I guess Frank Mason a little, but I kind of I kind of feel like we already knew what he was going to be coming in. He's a decent to average backup point guard. Showed a little bit of pick and roll chemistry with Bender, who's who seemed like an interesting Ursan light. He's been able to hit more threes than I thought he'd be able to. He's able to stand at the basket, use some of his size. Granted, it's against a lot of backups, but he gets a little bit of garbage ta- garbage baskets, you know, putbacks off the rim, all that kind of stuff. I mean, regardless of what you think of him, I mean, as a, as a 15th signing off a team that's literally wandering around in the desert trying to find any th- semblance of, of a realistic team, uh, we just saw a guy, Alex Len, who seemed to be rejuvenated by moving to Atlanta from the Phoenix desert and Maybe Dragon Bender can do the same in, in Bud's system, which I think is designed to make just about anyone look good. But it's good to see him play well and look pretty promising. Uh, I beyond, should, if yeah, I could ahead. jump in real quick on Dragon, like I, I agree that he has had moments, but there are also moments where it's like, okay, I kind of get why uh, this guy was, you know, half step away from being out of the league because, like, there are sequences where if there's a single defender in his face, it doesn't matter how much of a height advantage he has. He he, he has a tendency to blow the shot because, like, I, I remember in the Jazz game, he had beaten all the defenders in a transition opportunity, and the only guy in front of him was Donovan Mitchell, and he kind of, like, step, 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 stood there, and then kind of, like, fell over while taking the shot, <laughs> totally missed. And then coming back to the other end, he was, like, trying to man guard Donovan Mitchell, and he got tripped up on his feet and face-planted. So, and, and there were, like, multiple times between the Jazz and the Mavs game where, you know, he, it's not that he's uncontested, but he, he's got a pretty good clean look at getting a defensive rebound, and it just slides right off his hand and goes out of bound for, uh, for the other team to get the ball back. So, I, I think... I'm not sure if he's going to stick around the entire season um, because I still think he's a little too raw or unskilled or unpolished at, you know, certain basic things that make you a viable NBA player. But just like the Nasus, he at least shows a pulse, I guess. And we'll see whether or not that pulse turns into anything more substantial during the season. Speaking of barely having a pulse, I'm going to clear the floor real quick for Kyle. Uh, You get uh, 30 seconds here on Luke May. 
silence. Uh, <laughs> it's just 30 <laughs> seconds of silence. All I know is I was right since day one, and it's good to see everyone else come to that realization during these preseason games. That's it. I, yeah, I can't continue. <laughs> Everyone okay. was everyone was looking at Thanasis as like the quote unquote feel good like uh, story signing. Maybe Luke May was the one. Like we'll get this guy. He's North Carolina. He plays basketball the right way. And like I mean, it is just, it just looks hopeless out there. No offense, Luke May, if you're listening, but it doesn't even play uh, it the right way. He just doesn't play. Yeah, <laughs> he's he, not like good. <laughs> like how you were saying, uh, Adam, that Dante seems to play at a different speed. Like that's the same for Luke May, but it's just because he's slow. You know, like it's a. Uh, it's it's a different speed insofar as he just can't really keep up. And to his credit, the only minutes that uh, Bud gave him was like four in the Jazz game and three against Boban Marjanovic in uh, in the Mavs game, where the guy has a you know, foot and seventy five pounds on him. So not ideal circumstances. But I I do not expect Luke May to uh, to be making the NBA roster once preseason ends. I don't even think he's going to make a G League roster. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he'll, like, Oshkosh, he'll fit in. Yeah. I mean, like every other player on the Bucks roster, you can talk yourself into like the Nessus, even Dragon Bender, like we were saying, you can talk yourself into seeing where his skill set could be useful. And then you look at Luke May and it's just like, why is the trainer or you know, kind of like those game man like the managers on a college team? Like, why are those managers walking on the court right now? Who where's his parents? Where's security? We have the <laughs> court troop, like court stormer right now. Like no, Luke, I don't know how A, Luke May got to North Carolina, started in North Carolina, made it four years, and was even considered for NBA rosters. It's baffling. He, I don't even know if he would be good in Europe or Australia. Actually, no, actually, Australia actually has a legit league, but I don't, I don't know how this guy continues a basketball career after this year. Okay. Right, and that's the Luke May segment. Yeah, yeah. He does look like a guy who would fit in at like Barley and Hops. Shout out Ashkosh. Um, anyway, okay. Yep, Luke May. I did. Sorry, I was watching, yep, that was the yeah, one was, and a half months of anger stored in. I was watching the. Uh, I just had the Mavs game on in the background, and he was going over to inbound the ball, and he just tripped over himself. Which that can happen. That can happen to anyone. Happens to me on the street every day. But just you know, regardless. Um, Riley, uh, you don't have to not to me not to do it real quickly, but you had gone to the open scrimmage. Any takeaways from that slash your first experience in Pfizer Forum? Well, I should say, and this should come as no surprise to anybody who's been there, the arena is really, really cool. I was impressed with the turnout. I think there was like 13,000 people, which is, uh, it feels realistic because they had to fill the entire lower bowl and open the upper bowl to people as well. I think. First game day experience, really, really good. Uh, good job, billionaire owners. You guys executed, and I hope you're making a lot of money. I'm sure you are. Um, <laughs> to the team itself, it, I think, I don't know if there was much in the way of like, wow, big takeaways. I think the kind of things that we saw throughout the preseason, it, it, we could kind of get an inkling of in the scrimmage, You know, whether it be Dante looking a lot more confident offensively, and even though his jumper didn't fall nearly as consistently in a couple of these preseason games, you know, it was really, I mean, he was nailing it all over the place on, uh, during the scrimmage. And it, it was really fun when they had, uh, there was a couple of possessions where uh, Thanasis was guarding Giannis, and you, know, you could tell that the crowd really got into it, and it was just like time time down after time down to the court they uh they kind of went 1v1 and i think thanasis got the better of Giannis a couple of times and he has the better of uh, thanasis so i i was impressed by uh by the game day experience by the way the guys played and i, I think 
we should give a shout out. I'm not sure what Cam Reynolds and Jalen Adams and Rajon Tucker, I don't know what place they're going to have with the team after the preseason, but each of those guys kind of showed a little something in the scrimmage at least where it's like, okay, you can, you can understand why they brought these guys in. And I know Cam's on a two way. I don't know if Jalen's going to go back to Oshkosh or what the deal is, but I think it should be a credit to John Horst that he he's has this end of the roster guys who are all decent and maybe they're not finished products right now. And we'll kind of see what they look like after maybe a year in the buck system. But, uh, Top to bottom, I think the roster looks pretty good. So we'll see how it turns out in the regular season. But that was my main takeaways on the scrimmage. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take a quick break here for an ad. And then on the other side of this, we're going to do over-unders for some players and the team overall. Talk soon. And we're back. Okay, let's get into some over-unders, guys. I put together a couple here for players and a couple for the team overall. So let's just get right into it. Start with you, Kyle, on this one. I put the over-under at 41 and a half three-pointers for Robin Lopez. So basically uh, one every two games for the Bucs. The most he had had in a season before this was seven. I think he went seven for 31 last year. So based on some of what you've seen this preseason, would you go over or under 41 and a half three-pointers for Robin Lopez on the year? I would say over mainly because he's going to have the opportunities to shoot threes, especially when the Bucks steamroll a team and it's garbage time and you can just let loose and let it fly whenever. I I can see him getting to like 60 or 70, I would say, just because maybe there's going to be a game where he hits two or three. So I'm going to go over and say it's in the 60s or 70s. Riley, what about you? I'm going to hit the under, actually, because even though he does take the three, he's not exactly like super comfortable with it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of shots that go hit the side of the backboard or don't even touch the rim at all or anything like that. So I don't think that's necessarily even a bad thing because I think it's effective that the Bucks will have an interior guy the way that, you know, Brooke Lopez, he's capable, but that's just not the way that he's been played because he's so good at taking the three point shot. So I'm going to hit the under, maybe he'll get to like 30 ish, but even though he'll have a green light, I'm not sure if it's going to be as green as it is for, uh, his brother Brooke, and I think he's been brought in not so much to be like, okay, you're just going to replicate what Brooke does. I think because he has a couple of different things that he's stronger in or is kind of has more of an emphasis as his strengths right now, I expect him to be utilizing that a lot more with the three-point kind of being like a little side shot, and we'll see maybe next season after a year of working on it, it'll add more, but for now, I'm going to hit the under on that. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to do under as well, maybe just by a smidge. I was looking at what John Henson had done in his limited time last year. He was attempting in like 13 minutes a game. He was attempting two around 2.2 three-point attempts per game, hitting around 35% of them. I don't know if Lopez will be able to get that many up. It, it seemed like almost all of his three-point attempts in this preseason so far have come in the corners. I'm curious how many how much they'll be able to get that shot for him in the regular season as well. Obviously they're trying to give him the easiest uh, looking three on the court for right now, but yeah, I'm going to go under on that one. So, uh, all right, next one over or under 100 minutes for this season with the Lopez brothers on the court together. Uh, Riley, let's start with you. I will hit the over on that. If only because it's a long season and I mean, we saw just like 19 minutes in the preseason against the Bulls, and obviously that's not going to be the case always. But 
I would not be surprised given how often Bud went to like a big lineup last year. If he's like, you know, whatever, we'll just put both Lopez's out there, Giannis and maybe Dragon Bender and Urson, and we'll go for it and just see how, <laughs> see how that works or something. But I, I would hit the over. Um, I'm a lot more optimistic on that just because I think the Lopez brothers do have um, quite a bit of chemistry. And like you said before, they're both able to hit the three. You can kind of have like a little bit of inside outside game. And it's not so at that point, it's not even just twin towers between Brooke Lopez and Giannis. You have to get through. It's like, okay, well, here's Robin as well, who looks like a pretty aggressive defender, especially in the drop scheme where he, he contests guys who are handling the ball or like trying to go for like a floor or something. He's right there a lot quicker than Brooke is, for example. And I think Dean Maniat pointed that out the other day. Um, so I go over on that, and I think it won't be a total disaster, which is why they'll do over 100 minutes with it. Kyle? Yeah, I'm going to go over as well, just because I wouldn't be surprised if there were games that Giannis gets a breather just like a day, a game off just for load management, and Bud decides to throw out the Lopez twins as a starting lineup with Chris. So I think that's going to be – I'm going to – yeah, it's going to be over. The chemistry is there. The – like I guess defensively I was surprised as Riley was mentioning just how aggressive Robin was just because when I think of Robin Lopez as a defender I think more of like a post presence like kind of more of a paint kind of like a paint rim defender but he's looked pretty good in the drop scheme so I'm gonna go over like I said there's going to be games that Giannis gets a breather or Chris Melton gets a breather and if we can get a starting lineup of the Lopez twins Giannis Dragonbender or something that would I think that would break. Maybe do that against the Charlotte Hornets. You know, just why not? <laughs> uh, I'll go over as well. Probably means that Mark, I, I set the line probably poorly then on that one. Uh, all right, next one. 275 dunks for Giannis this year. Kyle, you're going to go first. Just a little bit of context. He had 279 last year in 72 games played. That's almost four dunks a game. Previous years to that, he had had 161 dunks, 194 dunks, 141 dunks, and then a lot less than that in the first two years. But over or under 275 dunks for Giannis. I don't like doubting Giannis, but I'm going to go <laughs> under. It's, I, it's just tough because I don't know how much in terms of minutes he's going to get. And while he is able to get to the rim at ease, I think it's going to turn into more getting post post touches and getting layups out of it compared to just dunks. And if Giannis increases his three point shot usage, I think that takes it away as well. I mean, he'll still get, you know, over 200. I'm not concerned about that, but I don't know about 275. I'm going to go under not by much though. Riley. I'm, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to go over. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be by a ton, but I think, yes, the style is going to be a little bit different. And if he's trying to look for teammates, that's obviously a different look. But if we have as much spacing as we've kind of seen throughout the preseason, and again, uh, with preseason games, it, it's kind of tough to tell whether or not um, all those spaces because opponent defenses don't really care what's going on. But uh, I would go over, if only because... Giannis has heard all of the Harden should have been MVP talk and he'll be like, you know what? You know what's more exciting than James Harden doing six steps and taking a three? 
me slamming it over four guys right now. So I think he's going to look to that as a stylistic flair for what he's going to be doing in this upcoming season. And uh, I would hit the over, not by a ton, but he did it all last year, and I have no reason to believe he won't do it again this year. I'm going to go over as well. I think the possibility of him actually hitting threes might mean he'll get more dunks uh, if players have to play out to him. So I'm going over on that one. Next one, Riley, you're first on this. Over or under 6.7 three-point attempts per game for Chris Middleton this year. For reference, last year he averaged 6.2. I'm going to hit the under. Um, And that is because Chris Middleton got paid a lot of money. And while I don't doubt the fact that he's going to be motivated to play really well, I think part of him adjusting and kind of buying into Bud's system last year was like, you know what? got to get along to stay along or whatever the phrase is. So I, I think that was kind of a nod to that. And I wonder if after all the off season, have him and bud come to a more solidified agreement where it's like, yes, I'll take the threes as necessary, but I would really like to do a lot of mid range game because all you know, the preseason games, it there's been multiple times where it's like, it's the Chris show on the corner mid range. He's going to do maybe a couple of dribble moves and see if he can get around a guy. Um, so I'm going to hit the under. I think he will probably get to about six attempts again. But it's been how many years now where it's like, wow, how amazing would it be if Chris was able to buy and just take like eight or nine three-point shots a year? It feels like it's been like five or six seasons at this point, however long he's been here. So if he hasn't done it yet, I don't see that happening this upcoming year because I think both he and Bud find value in him having that other part of his game and kind of going to that whenever needed. So going to go under, uh, probably get to six, but not get to 6.7 or above. Kyle? Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be under as well, probably at that six, just because I think Chris Middleton is going to not necessarily conduct the tough shot express, but he's going to start, you know, trying to advertise it, try and dabble in it a little bit, maybe convince someone to pair that along with the timeshare, you know, give you, give you a little bit of a tease of it. And right when you think, okay, I'm going to shoot threes again, he goes right back to the tough shot express with a new person. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of that. So that's why I'm taking the under. I I totally agree with what both of you said. It makes a lot of sense. I also question whether he'll even have as many opportunities for three-point attempts or if he'll want to look for them, given the fact that the Bucks brought in other people to just exclusively shoot threes who aren't probably going to be driving to the basket very much. Um, I'll push. I think he's going to get exactly 6.7 three-point attempts per game. Um so we'll see. That's a that's a tough bet for me, but I think he's going to get it. Um, all right, next one, Kyle. Six assists per game for Giannis. Over under six assists per game for Giannis. Last year, he had 5.9. And let me just give you an idea of a couple players who had um, – where did I have that? So for reference, there were some players who had over – uh, six attempts, six assists per game last year. Like Luka Doncic was at six assists per game. Uh, like Nikola Jokic was obviously at seven uh, or 7.3. Um, so just for a little bit of context there. So over under six assists per game for Giannis. I'm going to go over. Part of that is because having a guy like Kyle Korver, Wes Matthews, who are not hesitating to shoot it, is going to be a big factor. And also, I think it seemed like at times the Bucks just could not hit a three anytime Giannis dished it to them. And I think that's going to change as well. So I'm going to give seven, I'm going to say 7.2 assists per game. I think whoa, having, whoa. Yeah. I think having Corver, I think having Wes Matthews, you know, I pick and rolls with Brooke, Robin Lopez. I think it really shows that Giannis, they're going to focus so much on Giannis and he, 
kind of like what we're saying, he has that instinct where he can get the ball to someone. And I think it's going to work out better instead of, you know, rolling out the season with Brogdon, who hesitates to shoot. Tony Snell, who, I mean, he had a quick trigger, but also hesitated to shoot. Don Maker for half a season. You're kind of replacing those with guys that feel a little bit more comfortable with the ball in their hands. I am actually going to go against that. I'm going to hit the under on that because um, I think for all the faults that Malcolm Brogdon had, and we don't have to really relitigate it right now, I'm sure it'll be a topic that kind of comes up throughout the season. He was the guy that generated the highest number of assists for Giannis last season. Um, I think he was a full you know, 0.3 assists higher than the second guy, which would have been Brooke Lopez. And yes, while Malcolm was very cautious, he also hit a lot of the shots they ended up taking. And with Giannis out there, a lot of the shots that uh, Malcolm got were really, really good. And so I think it's difficult to say so far, especially with like guys like Kyle Corver, like who knows in the regular season how much burn Kyle Corver is even going to get because, you know, kind of have to save him for the playoffs or he's just not where he was previously, physically speaking. And so while there are a lot of promising shooters on the team and theoretically the system works really, really well where we should get a lot of Giannis assists, I'm not sure if I can comfortably say there's enough of a change in the talent on this roster where it's going to automatically, you know, include an uptick to six plus assists for Giannis. So I'm going to hit the under, not by a ton. He's obviously still a pretty good passer, but kind of between my concerns earlier where he's not a really natural passer just yet. And it seems like he hasn't really broken himself of, like you said, Adam, waiting until the very last half second to pass out. I'm not sure if I can really go in and say, Kyle Korver, Wes Matthews equals six plus assists because I think losing Malcolm, you're going to have to replace kind of, you're kind of working from behind the eight ball at that point. And uh, it might take a little bit of time for him and the guys, new guys to kind of build up a rhythm to figure out what's the best way for me to get the ball to you, for example. This one I was really had had a tough time with, and I didn't quite know where to set the line. I, I was, I'm intrigued by what you said, Kyle, about how it seemed like players didn't hit very much. So I was actually curious. I looked it up. And on the three-point attempts that Giannis passed people to, uh, the Bucks hit 35.4% of those, which was basically right at their season average. I figured it would be a little bit lower than their season average. Uh, but also, if you look at some of the players, like the top passing players who led to field goal attempts for other players on the Bucks, uh, so Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, uh, Giannis is the only one who led to more three-point field goal attempts, uh, passes, his passes led to more three point field goal attempts as opposed to two point field goal attempts, uh, which makes sense because he's the one driving to the middle. But I also think that that means because you're passing out for three point shots, there's just a lot more variance in it. So it's probably going to be harder to get some of those sure assist numbers that maybe Nikola Jokic gets sometimes with his over the top passes to cutters and all that other kind of stuff. So I'm going to go under just slightly. So I'm not sure there's going to be a huge uptick in it. So I was uh, that was a little probably the one of the tougher ones for me to well, try and peg. And one other thing is it, how how often is it like directly a Giannis pass to one guy and then that guy is the guy that takes a shot? Like how often do we see it? And again, this is part of the things with like assist versus hockey assist because of the way that the system is set up. It's like make the extra pass. So maybe he kicks it out to Eric and then Eric's like, well, you know what? Uh, 
Malcolm Brogdon is just standing over there by himself. So I'm going to make the extra pass and he's wide open or whatever it is. So I think that's going to be working against Giannis, quote unquote, working against. Obviously, it's a plus for the team and for him. But it, I think it's a little bit more difficult because it's not directly A to B every single time I go in, I kick it out, that guy takes a shot. So I think keep that in mind as well when looking at this number. All right. Next over under. Kyle, we're going to start with you. Over under 41 and a half games played for the very supremely, extremely healthy Dante DiVincenzo. Over, 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 <laughs> over, over. Slam it out over button. Yes, Dante is 100% undoubtedly 100, completely healthy. He looks healthy. He looks good. The goatee is strong, unlike what you said <laughs> earlier, Adam. This is going to be a great year for Dante. I'm, And I actually think realistically he does – I think him having that summer to properly rehab is going to be beneficial for him. So I'm I'm going over, I'd say 60 games, which somewhere in the 60s, which would be a vast improvement compared to last year when it was only in the 20s. So yes, over, 100% over. All right. I'm going to follow Kyle on the over, not by maybe a ton because I know foot issues, you know, if Malcolm Brogdon has foot issues and we're worried about that, I think it's reasonable to be like, well, what's going on with Dante's feet, even though he looks super, I mean, just picture a health right now, you know what I mean? So I will go over as well because 41.5 would assume you have like even below average health for the year. And last year was like really, really below average. So I think he'll play in over half the games. I don't know how much more than that because Lord knows we'll probably get some sort of flare up here or there, but I, I will do the over as well. I'm going to go over too. I think obviously have a lot of faith in Dante. We know he didn't play for the Italian team, but maybe he spent some time over there. I know the Germans have that. I forget what blood plasma technique or whatever that Dirk and Kobe did. Maybe they like wrapped Dante's foot in linguine or something. And <laughs> it like made it super powered. I don't know. Um, so much ragu. So yeah. 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 Dip it, dip it in the, the, the ragu fountain over there. And it uh, <laughs> seems like, it seems like he's healthy and ready to go. So fingers crossed that all of our over predictions are right. All right. Next one over under six and a half, three point attempts per game for Wesley Matthews. So this one was a hard one for me to do, uh, especially per game, because he's been able to get so many minutes on his teams the last few years. So uh, I'll just give you a little bit of context, Riley, before you can guess. So, uh, you know, three years ago, he averaged 6.7 three-point attempts at about 34 minutes per game. The next year, 6.6 .6 at 34 minutes per game, 6.4 at 34 minutes per game, uh, 5.8 Last year in total uh, between all of his different teams at about 30 minutes per game. Uh, I wasn't quite sure given if he'll have even more of a green light here. And that's like his his basic role is just to shoot three-pointers. So I put the over-under at six and a half three-point three attempts per game for Wesley Matthews. What say you? This is really tough. I think this might be one of the best lines because... I have no idea what role this dude is going to play. Like clearly he was brought in to be a starter, but what does that translate to into minutes? And if he's like playing 25, 24, even less minutes and still getting up 6.5, I mean, that's a lot of threes to be, <laughs> to be shooting. And um, maybe that's exactly what Bud wants him to do. But I have my doubts because we have seen in his limited action, 
he's not necessarily afraid or unwilling to go inside uh, when needed. So it's not like Cal Corver is like, I'm specifically here just to shoot threes. Like, stand around the perimeter, shoot threes. I, I don't think that's Wesley's role. So I'm going to do the under here combination, not as many minutes because there's, you know, last year, like with Indiana, he was pretty much the only offensive quote unquote creator they had once Oladipo went down. So that kind of inflated things a little bit. Um, I anticipate fewer minutes, slightly different role where he's not one of the lead, like attacking pieces. He's more like a fourth piece, a really good fourth piece for what he does, but a fourth piece. Nonetheless, I do not anticipate 6.5 threes, but I do anticipate quite a few, you know, maybe like five plus threes a game. Uh, and I don't think that's unreasonable to expect for him. Kyle. Yeah, I agree. I kind of in the same aspects of I don't know about his role. I don't know about his minutes. I'm going to go under. I wouldn't be surprised if he did just every time he had the ball in his hand, he was on the perimeter, he fired it up. But I'm going to say that he's going to be in like the fives, like maybe like a 5.3, 5.4. It's just tough because I think the biggest factor is going to be his reduction in minutes. I think what Budenholzer is going to try and do is have him, Dante, Sterling, and Pat all rotate those minutes at the two so he might be playing like 20 minutes a game which it's still pretty good and he could still get a bunch of shots up but at the same time i i don't think it's going to get to the 6.5 that we've all been accustomed to west matthews doing in his career yeah i think the the lack of clarity at that position made it tough to put the line especially because they probably should have thought we you know one of the benefits of him coming in to the bucks is that he wouldn't have to play 30 minutes a game he wouldn't be ran into the ground so i'll probably hit the under as well just given the uh, unsureness I have about what's going to happen to that position, similar to all the stuff you guys said. All right, I got three more here that are team over-unders, and then we'll get out of here. So, Kyle, do you think the Bucks will go over or under 43-point attempts per game as a team? For reference, last year they averaged 38.2. I'd, I'd say over, um, just with the players that they added in the offseason and their style of play. I think Giannis being able to draw more defenders is going to be a factor. So I'd say it's going to be 42 per game. Riley. I'm going to hit the under on that actually, because it, yes, there's like the talk that last season was for, for mastering this era uh, for setting up the system this year is for mastering it. Um, <laughs> and I, I, and I know that the personnel would seem to indicate that there's going to probably be more three point shots take taken, but I mean, who the hell wasn't taking a three last year, right? Like they had John Henson. They turned him into a three points marksman over an off season. So I'm not sure if maybe there's enough of a change to just up the sheer numbers, but this doesn't strike me as the team that's going to play like rockets ball where it's like either exclusively James Harden inside or everybody's going to be taking the three like that. That's just not the way that they play necessarily and when you have three top line guys like eric bledsoe chris middleton and Giannis, where yes they can all shoot the three well that with the first you can shoot the three and Giannis, maybe it's to be determined but a lot of their game is also predicated on going inside and either creating or something along those lines for others so i'm going to hit the under just because there was a lot of threes taken last year and i don't expect them to like radically uptick it probably look for better looks from those threes um, more than just sheer volume. So I, I'm going to hit the under on that number. I'm going to go under as well, just by a smidge. I, I think the thing that could certainly get it to where Kyle's talking about over is, I mean, if Giannis starts taking more threes, you know, that's immediately like another attempt per game or something. And all of a sudden you're pretty darn close to getting that over. So 
but I'm going to go under just slightly. Uh, I think like what you were saying, Riley, I don't know if this team is, is to the point where the, we, you know, they want to go all, you know, balls to the wall, three point attempts. So I'm going to go slightly under and, and think it, it plateaus right around where they were at last year, maybe a smidge higher. So next one over or under 57 and a half wins for the bucks this season, Riley. I have to give me one second just to look at the standings from last year. So the Bucks won 60 last year, Toronto 58, Philadelphia 51. I It's tough, but I'm going to play the under on this one, and not because I think the departure of Malcolm is like that catastrophic or the talent isn't as good. I just think because the East is weaker this year, the like load management that we saw a season ago, it, it might – that's not going to get like ridiculous levels, but I, I think it will become a little bit more of a thing. And while Philly is good, I'm not sure if necessarily they are going to be gunning for like the first seed. So I, I don't think the pressure is going to be nearly as, uh, as strong as it was last year where it's like, okay, the bucks are like, this is their coming out party essentially where it's like, Hey, we are a dominant team. We are going to prove everybody wrong and we're going to get the first seed. They already proved last year that they're able to do that. Um, I don't think they necessarily need to quote unquote, prove the doubters wrong. Now the postseason, that's a whole different thing. Um, so I will say under not by a ton, they'll probably get to like 56, 57 wins. Um, but I just don't think the impetus to like really just blow team after team away is going to be nearly as there. Maybe not so much from the players, but probably more so from the coaching staff perspective. Kyle. Yeah. I'm going to go under as well. I think there is going to be more games that they just decide to not take it as seriously. I also think with the East being weaker, their only competition really for the one seed is going to be Philly. And I don't think Philly is going to be able to catch up. So they might clinch the one seed sooner than they did last year, which will enable them to rest a little bit more, take their foot off the gas. And as much as I want to say, you know, there are some games that the Bucs probably should have won. Like, I think back to that Atlanta one where it went into double overtime with all the scrubs. And, yeah, if you play, you know, if you play the starters a little bit more, you win that game. But I think there's going to be more games like that where you have, you know, probably more of a bench-heavy lineup that happens. And I just think to try and replicate what they did last year in terms of wins, it's just really, really difficult. And because you're not going to catch anyone off guard this year so i'm gonna say 56 i think 55 56 is what's gonna happen they'll still get the one seed and i still think they get it comfortably but i'd say 55 56 just because trying to win 60 close to 60 games is really difficult i'm going over i think i think that uh, i mean i think the team is regular season wise is going to be just as good as they were last year i think tons of if we're talking about the team taking games off. I think tons of other teams are going to be doing the exact same thing, doing load management. Uh, there's a lot more parity throughout the league. Now there aren't any sort of super teams. And I think that actually plays to the Bucks' strengths because I think they have a team that's built to succeed in the regular season with a system that's incredibly competent offensively and defensively. Uh, I mean, last year they were top five offense, you know, an amazingly, you know, top one or two defense, depending on which site you're looking at. I don't see any reason for that to dip dramatically. I think in every game that Giannis Antetokounmpo plays, he's going to want to, you know, run every team that's out there off the court. And I can't imagine he's going to play much less than he did last year. I mean, unless he gets injured, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine him wanting to dip much further below 70 games or something if he's healthy the whole season. 
And uh, I know that the preseason, we're obviously showing that we're playing against scrubs and the Bucks' depth is obviously beating up on those scrubs. But I just think this is a, a team and a system that's built to last and built to succeed throughout the whole regular season. And I think, I think there's kind of a, you know, after what the Raptors did last season, I think it's kind of in vogue to say, well, you know, we can kind of do whatever throughout the regular season sort of take games off. And I think the Bucks are probably going to be doing that. But if every other team is doing that, uh, I mean, give me the Bucks every day of the week, uh, winning those the Wednesday night game against whatever Western Conference team decides that they're giving their player load management night. Um, I just I think the I, I have a lot of faith in this team and the system and what Bud's put together. And I think I think they're going over uh, probably at least matching last year's win total. I think it's pretty reasonable. The only other thing, and this isn't something you really take into account when you're thinking of over and unders, is the fact that the Bucks had like a really, really, really clean bill of health last year, um, especially amongst the starters. And so it, that's tough to predict. And obviously, if something catastrophic happens, you know, what are you going to do about that? But that, that would be something that would temper me a little bit as well as besides Malcolm going down with his plantar fasciitis for whatever, I think the final 15, 20 games, there wasn't really any other like big contributor that went down. So that would be something I'd kind of keep an eye on where I'm not expecting an injury, but you know, it's tough to have lightning strike twice like that for a team. So we'll see how that works out. Fair enough. All right. Last one, guys, I had initially set this line at 0.5, but I switched it up to 1.5 because I feel like there's an assumption that there will be at least one of these this season. But Kyle, let's start with you over or under 1.5 trades for the Milwaukee Bucks this season. <sighs> okay, so let's see. Last year, the Bucks made technically, like, I guess three because there's the John Henson and Delhi for George Hill. There was the trade for Nikola Miritich, and then there was the one with the Wizards, correct? Uh, I think the Wizards was part of the George Hill because we read because it was like, oh, is Sam Decker coming to Wisconsin uh, too? And yeah, 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 that's right. Was yeah, the Jody yeah. Meeks one a, a trade? That was, I think, I think so. He get tossed into the, um, I thought he was a toss in with the, Georgia no, I think that was like right at the beginning of this. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Because they brought him in for a couple of seconds from Washington, which ended up getting us Nicola Meritage. So yeah, so that would have been three trades last year. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go over, I'll say two trades just because I can see Milwaukee attempting i can see milwaukee trading you know content or silly brown just looking at them as surplus for requirements to trying to get a little bit more assets out of them so i can see that being a trade and then you still have the question mark that is drug and vendor maybe he's okay and you can use him. again kind of just more just a, like getting a second round pick or just some cap relief something like that so i'll say over i don't think it's going to be a miritich-esque trade where you're trying to you know go all in for it but just more collecting assets that's just trying to dump salary. I am going to do the under, and I should note, I do have one more over under for you guys after this, but I, I say for 1.5, I'm going to do under. I think they'll only do one trade. And my reasoning for that is one there, the way that the contracts are kind of set up, is there like a single player on the team that the bucks are like, wow, we, that is an awful, like poison pill contract. Like, Chris, okay, you could say that, but that's a totally different circumstance. But it's not like Delhi and John Henson is like, wow, this is a millstone around our neck. So I'm not sure if there's going to be a trade where it's like we have to give up a lot just to clear our books and kind of keep flexibility. I think pretty much everybody on the team has pretty team-friendly contracts for the most part. I anticipate just one big trade. I actually think they are going to go all in. I have no idea for what player. Who knows who's going to become available. But 
between having that indie first rounder, God knows how many, you know, first rounders in the future they'd be willing to give up. And they do have a, you know, a couple of players where it's like, okay, you could reasonably send this to another team and that guy could still be a productive, whether it be like Ursan, maybe like George Hill, there's Eric, obviously. So it, there's a lot of different contracts where you could spin it where like you send this maybe a couple of young guys or maybe the first or whatever it is and bring back a big piece for right now. So I anticipate them to do one all-in trade just to be, you know, while I think they're confident about Giannis coming back, I'm not sure if you want to leave a chance per se. And if an opportunity comes knocking where it's like, we can add this guy and almost guarantee ourselves a trip to the finals, I think you might have to do it. So I anticipate just one ginormous trade, generous be in relative terms, but I do anticipate them uh, trying to acquire something with that first and maybe a couple of the guys in the roster. I'm going to go under as well, basically same line of thinking as you, Riley. So uh, you couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, What's your last over under? My last over-under is um, I'm going to set the line at 7,372.5 references to Brooke and Robin Lopez not liking each other by the media. How often is local, national, you know, wire reports, Twitter, how often are people going to go to that honey hole for a storyline in an 82-game season? Over-under 7,362.5. Over. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think it's going to be one of those where the local media will start doing it. And then I'd say like halfway through the season, it's not going to be as it's going to kind of like die down. But then the national media is going to pick up on it, like take the baton from them. So, yeah, let's go over. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I want I should have set the line like pre or post all star break when Zach Lowe does like a long piece on the Lopez brothers. And that's like a big storyline is like how much they dislike each other or whatever. Uh. Yeah, I'll, I'll just let Kyle's uh, answer speak. For I think the over is pretty safe. I, I said yeah. it pretty low, so that was that was my fault. On that. <laughs> <laughs> I should not be a Vegas bookmaker for podcasts, apparently. <laughs> uh, all right, well, th- this was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad we had a lot of actually sort of disagreements on the over-unders. That made it a lot more fun. Uh, well, going forward, we'll probably return to more of a weekly schedule, hopefully for you. And uh, make sure to follow us at BrewHoop. Go to brewhoop.com. We'll have the usual. So we'll have some season preview stuff coming up. Um, we'll have the whole staff getting in on over-under predictions. Uh, this was actually useful because I needed to put these articles together this weekend. And there we go. I did it on the podcast. And oh. <laughs> um, make sure to uh, you know listen to us every week. Like, subscribe, uh, send it to all of your friends. Have them listen to the Brew Hoop podcast. And uh, going forward, we'll be back in your ear holes hopefully on a weekly basis so next week we'll talk a little bit more about expectations for each player in the meantime hope you have a fantastic week talk to you again soon on the streets of old milwaukee was a young boy walking